5-4-3-2-1. I'm John Miglash for the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. And let's get to the news. Okay. This is a uh, Polestar commercial from the Super Bowl. I'd never heard of Polestar. Here we go. No epic voiceovers. No punchlines. No diesel gain. No dirty secrets. No hidden agenda. No empty promises. No shortcuts. No conquering Mars. No blah, blah, blah. No settling. No greenwashing. No nonsense. No committees. No consensus. No compromises. No number two. Poll star two. 100% electric. Okay. Anyway, I found out it was a Volvo. Not that that's a bad idea from a branding standpoint. You know, when Lexus, when I'm sorry, when Toyota decided they wanted to, uh, they wanted to compete with Mercedes and BMW, instead of you know upgrading their top of the line, uh, their top of the line Toyota, they created Lexus. And when Honda wanted to compete, they created Acura. Uh, and you know the 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 sort of case study foundation for that was that when uh when levi's decided to go after the casual office market uh they created dockers and but when lee jeans went after it they created khaki pants in their line and of course we all know dockers crushed lee khaki pants (laughs) So that's how that got started. So now they've created this new logo over here, if you see, even though it's a Volvo. And, uh, I mean, I I actually watched a 20-minute review where they compare it with the Tesla 3. They said it only gets, in reality, about 180 miles range. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> that would get me about not even yeah just not quite halfway to my kids in minneapolis which isn't very far i mean we just hump hop in the lexus we don't even have to put gas in it zoom off we go and we if we fill up at madison we can get all the way back to madison uh, there and back i get almost i get consistent 500 mile range so for me out in the country you know that not anytime soon but that's the kind of that's the kind of place you want to advertise, you know, when you have no idea who the market is in, in real terms, because electric is a propensity, you know, and, and sure, you can rule out some people are not going to buy electric. I mean, I'm driving two Lexuses. That's my sixth or seventh. I'm in their market. You know, if they if they said, well, th- these kind of people buy are buying the electric cars that I'd probably be in there. But that doesn't mean everybody who's who fits that profile is going to buy an electric car. There's additional preferences, you know, whether you understand the science and the damage to the environment that electric cars cause and all those other things, you know, should really should be driving one of those, one of those really good European diesels, but they're just a little expensive to maintain. Whereas the the Lexus can use Toyota parts. So anyway, let's go on (laughs) enough about cars, right? Now I have to be, be careful how I do this because I'll stop the recording. I stopped the streaming when I all tab while I'm showing this. Okay, so Quad had some, eh, you know, fair results. They they actually increased sales from 
2021. And 2021, they did pretty well, too, actually. Uh, they had higher print volumes. Interesting, at the very, very bottom, there's a graph here. And the biggest change was they went from 39% in targeted print to 42% in sales in targeted print. They went from 31% in large-scale print, which my guess is those are catalogs, long-run catalogs, to only 25%, down 6% in large-scale print. And there aren't a lot of competitors in that, you know, so that's quite a drop. And But they went up 3% in targeted print, and they also went up 3% in integrated solutions. You know, and Quad has been talking about that stuff for a long time. Um, now, I did see... You know, I did see that they're they're actually doing the photography for some of the big catalogs. And that makes a lot of sense to me because, um, you know, when you when you shot the photography, you were actually looking at the item and then you, you know, then you'd send the you'd send this basically the, the scans to the printer and they didn't have the item, you know. And so there was always this color correction issue, whereas if you could get the printer and the camera in perfect sync, if you had the printer doing the photography, then your color correction would be minimal. And that just makes tons of sense to me. And you could also, and also good photographers would shoot it to spec. Uh, and and we would actually draw the way we wanted the, the photography done. In back in the old days when we used a pencil and an X-Acto knife. Anyway, here's a shocking article by Ray Schultz, my friend Ray Schultz who says shoppers will unsubscribe from a brand if they are incorrectly targeted, Ray Schultz. Also, and you know, there's a Bible, there's a Bible proverb that says uh, that uh, a wise man keeps silent, but a fool only the revealing of his own mind. And sometimes I think personalization is an effort by marketers to reveal everything they know about you best they can. And uh, so this emotional shopping experience, I tried to, I tried to track down the study. Ray didn't put a link in it, uh, so I'd love to find the study. Um, it wasn't a huge study. It was a little over 1,000 people in the U.K., but it said that half were incorrectly targeted within the last six months. Well, that's, uh, you know, my guess is that's really low. That's just what we can remember. Uh, those 88 acted against, of those, 88% acted against the brand, took some action calling out the brand. 42% immediately unsubscribed to all of the brand's marketing content. 24% blocked all content from the brand on social media. And 22 decided not to purchase from the brand again. I think that's funny. Only 20. You never know. They might come up with the next, you know, iPhone or something. Um, <laughs> their main complaints. The number one complaint was they were they were offered the same item they had just purchased. That happened to me a lot with Amazon, and so I I basically shop on um, on those private browsers now, so that they can't just spread the cookie around of what I looked at. Okay, it's it's a simple solution. Open a browser window, a private browser window, and use that for your shopping, and you won't get that to happen much anymore. Not age appropriate. Well, most ads aren't age appropriate to me. <laughs> They all have young people in them. The only ones that are, are age appropriate to me are the drug commercials. Anyway, the I mean the prescription drug commercials. 
and they are gender identified or misgenderized or whatever. I, uh, I, every now and then, like on ESPN or someplace, I'll see like an ad for cute sundresses. And I'm thinking, what are they thinking? Of course, you know, ESPN will oftentimes, when I open it, lead off with women's college basketball, which I have zero interest in. In fact, it's confusing because I'll bring it up and I'll see that Wisconsin's playing Purdue or something, which would be a big game. They are playing Purdue March 1st. It'd be a big game. But they'll be like, they're playing them tonight. And I'm thinking, no, I'm sure they're not playing them tonight. And then I see that it's NCAAW instead of NCAA. M, you know, and if you're dyslexic, you can go upside down, not just side to side. It's very confusing. I would love it if if ESPN would have a I don't ever want to see category. They have a I like these teams, but they don't have an I don't ever want to see. And there's a lot of them I don't, you know, hockey, no interest in a lot of things. I didn't even have any interest in the NBA until the Bucks won the championship, but you know, I would have put that in there. Anyway. Excellent article by Ray Schultz. It basically says there's a real downside to bad personalization. And I would also say that the studies that tell you that 78% of people say that they they prefer ads that are personalized, well, of course we do. You know, that they're more likely to buy things they're interested in. Well, duh. The trouble is they don't know what they're going to be interested in. Not next week, not next year. Advertising is, at best, a slippery game. So anyway, think about that. Uh, maybe we'll do a, a, a special series or something on personalization because it is really, really mi- misinterpreted. Those, those, those studies are just completely backwards. You know, Of course, I'm more likely to buy something that I'm already interested in when I see an ad for it. But it's but I see five or six hundred ads a day, so there's a pretty good chance somebody gets it right. You know that doesn't mean that everybody can get it right, or that they know what I'm doing. It just happens to be that oh yeah, I've been meaning to buy that. Okay, good luck with that. Anyway, here's an article by Mike Gunderson, excellent article. Four types of direct mail for B2B marketing. Okay, and uh, of course. Mike, Mike and I exchanged messages after yesterday. Uh, he's a new member of the WDMA. He says, people think direct mail went away mostly because, you know, everybody, including all the marketing consultants, said, oh, let's go digital <laughs> because they could charge more. <laughs> you know, they could charge more for being the new, the new thing than they could, you know, in ad agencies. You know, on traditional media, the ad agency got 17.5%. On, on digital, they could get 40%. So, of course, there were a lot of great articles about how, how digital was, you know, infallibly uh, better than everything else. And now we're learning that's not even close to true. It, it's full of fraud. Gee, it's been full of fraud since the beginning. Direct mail has been proven to be one of the most successful marketing tactics to date. I hate when he says studies show, but I did find the study. <laughs> the study is from... AMA.org, Salesforce wrote an article, Eight Direct Mail Best Practices for B2B. And it's actually an excellent article. I'll just touch on it. It says, it starts out with Salesforce. We are reestablishing direct mail as top tactic to engage our hottest prospects. OK, 
Okay, that's from Salesforce.com. We always, on the list, they say, we always run the final list by our sales teams. That's a recipe for disaster. I've helped several companies stop that. Why? Because this, this, the sales team puts their friends on there. They don't know who's the best prospect. They don't know who has the most potential. They know who they enjoy calling on. They know who's on the way between home and work on a Friday afternoon. Uh, the sales team has a very narrow uh, confirmation bias view of clients. So you need to get outside that. You need to make sure you're contacting them in some ways, independently of your sales team, or when your sales team, when one of your sales team leaves, they take all their clients with them. Just telling you, that's the way it is. That's one of the reasons why we use B2B mail and phone and keep in touch with our customers in other ways. The other thing is, is that too often the salespeople talk about what they like. Why do I say this? Because I was a straight commission salesman for years door to door in industrial parks okay that's how i got started and i know that you talk about what you you know what you like the products you like you don't necessarily talk about the newest line you probably it'll only be around for another year or two and, and then i'll have new ones you know there's always new ones but you know you talk about the stuff you know okay so if you want your customers to know about the stuff that the salesmen don't talk about then you got to market independently of the sales force so i just heartily disagree with this this is sometimes true it you know to have a six-month review we used to do that we used to print out their customers and say this is the ones we're targeting besides you we're sending them gifts we're doing all this extra stuff um do you have any prospects that belong in the top contact area and do you have any in the top contact area you think are really not don't belong there and you don't want to waste the money that's that's worthwhile not for every mailing you'll never get it done Clear call to actions, and this was a great little list. Do you want them to contact me, or download the latest ebook, or call to make an appointment, or visit your website? Great question. Great question. There were uh, and customize some customization, of course. Financial services are looking for clients, whereas healthcare is looking for patients. Pretty good, smart thing. Uh, personalized touches like the account rep's phone number and email, if you want to run it that way. You know. Sometimes there's advantages, especially in lead qualification, to having them talk to the to the corporate sales assistant or something like that. Okay, and there's another good question. Is your mailer doomed for the trash or will it be passed around and kept at your prospect's desk? So anyway, a lot of fun. Oh, this was a really clever phrase. Salesforce says that they use 100% recyclable a bowl materials. Okay. When I first read it, I thought it said recycled, which is kind of dumb. But all the mail, all the paper in the mail can be recycled. Most of it turns into cardboard boxes. Excellent for recycling. So anything in the mail is 100% recyclable pretty much. Even the plastic, but not. it's a little harder to get that fished out. Okay, create a follow-up plan, absolutely, and have fun. That is a great, that's a great little article. Anyway, so, so Mike was referring to that. Um, he also said that 21% less cognitive effort to process the information on mail. And that's from that sappy neuroscience study. Uh, so you get a much stronger recall. 79% of people take action uh, compared to digital media where uh, or email 45% uh, those that are interested in open it. Um, and then, oh, this is the American Marketing Association. These are the ones that I just reviewed. 
that's a different study up above. Align with the sales force. Align with Salesforce to help, not not .com, but your own Salesforce to help choose your prospects. Be careful with that one. That's why I went over to this one because it, it didn't, there wasn't a whole lot there. Um, but here are the four tips. You, you can use prospecting, you know, just to get your name out there. Um, you know, every now and then I'll send something to the catalog, uh, the presidents of catalog companies because most part were friends, but they may have forgotten me. Um, to introduce myself to people in case they've changed. Lead generation, let's get a call to action, strong, distinct call to action. Um, let's meet for a call. Let's have a virtual Zoomy cup of coffee. I'll send you a Starbucks gift certificate so you can join in. I have my coffee here with the KCDMA. I wonder if the KC, KD, KDMA is still in business. Yeah, it is KCDMA. Okay, and that's when you want to hone in on the decision makers, which means that you probably want to send something unique, like we showed yesterday, the the sample club where we had um, we had you know sent them a mug, sent them a Swiss Army knife. That was nice stuff. Personalized bottle of wine or an invitation to join you for golf. You have to be a little careful with sending wine through the mail, I think. Uh, and I'm not sure to be honest, 100%. But I would I would be cautious about that. And turn brand, turn brand supporters and current customers into brand evangelists by sending them imprinted merchandise. I'm a big fan of that. Incorporating three-dimensional mail and imprinted merchandise. Powerful, powerful thing. Way, way past the cost of, of a sales call in value. Okay, so B2B direct campaigns not only set you apart from the digital crowd, but also those who are sending big batch blanketed postcards and mailers. Good point. Here's a nice picture of Mike. Mike's a great guy. You really want to get in touch with Mike and give him a call and connect with him on LinkedIn. Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye.